Hello, this is Matt Brown, the worship pastor here at Glen Ellen Bible Church. You're listening to the Next Level Podcast. Today, we're going to answer listener questions from Sunday, November 26, 2023. Hi, I'm John Vanderbilt, the lead pastor at Glen Ellen Bible Church. Hi, I'm Simone Halpin, the co-founder and executive director of Naomi's House. And I'm Kelly Brady, senior pastor at Glen Ellen Bible Church. Thanks for tuning in today to the Next Level Podcast. Good morning. Good, Good morning, morning, everybody. How we hey, doing? Matt, when you do the intro music, could you play the Michigan fight song? <laughs> totally. <laughs> I As thought the, we weren't going to talk about it. I didn't talk about it on Sunday, but I just, you know, there are several. How old is that rivalry? Buckeye, Buckeye fans that uh, I can't remember the actual number. It was like the 104th meeting, 103rd Woo! meeting. That's a lot. There are lots of Buckeye fans been texting me, emailing me, sending me stuff. Talking the smack all talking week. Talking it up. And you lost. And you got no excuses this time. <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. What's the all-time record? Who's who's up? <sighs> Michigan's up by a lot, but there's a lot of games that people don't like to talk about it from like the 1800. You know? Uh, yeah, right, Ohio right. State has been punishing us. 1897? Over the last 20 years. Yeah, right, over the last right, 20. Yeah. They're like 17 and 6 or something like that. 119 meetings. Yeah. They yeah they they have had so our is that the most beaten us we were talking about rivalries before and you were saying which is the bigger rivalry wouldn't Bears Packers be a bigger rivalry than well in the NFL but oh you're talking just college yeah I'm just, just college, college. Yeah. longest rivalry or Notre Dame USC the, maybe Notre Dame USC is up there but Lafayette Lehigh rivalry 158 games yeah I don't know if that's I mean hard. there's a lot of like. I mean, Rutgers and Harvard is D1. probably played longer. <laughs> I just wonder, uh, number of games, I wonder what's the longest All of the longest? Rivalry. It's Lafayette Lee, I'm reading it. Mm-hmm. 158, yeah. Yeah, known as the rivalries, the most played in Division One at 158 games. Okay. Lehigh and Lafayette. What, what about FCS schools that schools? actually we know? Yeah. <laughs> what about uh, Minnesota, what about? Wisconsin. <laughs> so D1 FBS schools, it's 132, Minnesota and Wisconsin. So what about school? No. <laughs> Florida, Florida State, are they up there? That Florida, that's a good rivalry. That's a good. Yeah. Florida, Georgia is a good rivalry. Mm-hmm. Michigan, Michigan State's a good rivalry. USC, UL, UCLA. Oklahoma, Texas. Oklahoma, Texas. Bedlam. Yeah. 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 So football, football. Wyoming, Colorado. Congrats. Are you looking for a congrats? congrats no, I didn't John. do anything. I just all those that were talking smack just want you to. Yep. To realize you lost. And that, that, did that take them out of the? Uh, the well, they're all you know lobbying for. We're, we should still get in to right, the you know, right. but I don't think it'll happen. But who knows? That's Just rough. fun to you know have a win three in a row. All right, Go so blue. Um, yeah, good weekend, Kelly. You were up at Poplar. We yeah. were here at five hundred one. How did Poplar Sunday. go? It was a good Sunday. Yeah, um, strong attendance for post Thanksgiving and snowfall. Um, What's the thing? What's the? Th- <laughs> I just this just po- popped into my head. Why is it that snowfall it, uh, impacts attendance? It's sure. like we're all surprised. I don't know. It felt emptier. Yeah. That's the right word. It, no, it, it impacts attendance. It yeah. was it does. T- attendance was lower. Yeah, especially at the people nine, all over the, the globe the... are dying for fellowship with believers, right in the martyr <laughs> church. But an inch of snow apparently thwarts our appetite for worship. Maybe it was a combination of travel. And snow. Is there salt in your coffee? Because snow's pretty salty. <laughs> Let's be honest. No, I. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what? You're not wrong. Fair. You're not wrong. I'm not uh-huh. angry, but it's an issue. It's mm. an issue. 
-hmm. it's, it's one indication of convenience trumping conviction. Yeah. I feel like if, if you truly saw that it was snowing and didn't come to church on a Sunday, you were already looking for reasons mm. to not come to church, yeah. most likely. You know, like, oh, man, oh, I got that leg thing. There is a statistical correlation between the weather and attendance. There is. Yep. yep. But you know what I mean? No I, think, I think if that really does affect sure. your church attendance, you're already looking for reasons. Yeah, you're on the bubble. You're yes. on the bubble. Sure. Right, right. So if you are on the bubble, man, get off it. Yeah. Get off it, man. Come to church. It was a... I thought it was a powerful Sunday here. Um, we, we sang a new song. I particularly enjoyed how John came out of his sermon. And, and it was, and we, you know, we plan, but we don't plan every little detail of the service. Um, and it just, the song was perfect. John had a good charge of coming to Jesus. And the song we sang was Come Unto Jesus. And it was great. I was, I was pretty high on that. Was the woman on Better the than piano? snow, I can tell you that. The woman who played yeah. piano yesterday. Yeah, was Bailey. She, was she newer? She no. is newer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She, um, tell her. She just had such a beautiful smile. Like she did such her like presence during worship was very yep. uplifting. I really. She is her. like that twenty four seven. Like she is neat. a treat to have yeah. in the worship ministry. Oh, that's cool. It's really cool. I could sense it. I liked her. And we had a guest worship. Leader up at yeah. Poplar. Yeah, Scotty Murray, 18-year-old, senior at Wheaton Academy, who's a part of our reckless youth ministry and leads and has led for years in our high school ministry. He's full of passion and skill. And um, yeah, it was That's his cool. voice. His voice filled the room. Yeah. Really, really enjoyable to follow his leadership. And so thankful for what's going on in our reckless ministry, our high school ministry, the uh, students lead students in worship, and mm. there's nothing quite as encouraging to watch. Every time I go on a Wednesday night, I end up crying in the back, mm. and I'm the old man that's weeping. And mm. So I'm just super encouraged. It was great to have Scotty with us. Hopefully he'll be with us some more. Yeah. Um, all right, well, let's, let's get into some questions. All right, so... Wrapping up uh, Hebrews. <clears throat> I'm holding yeah. back over here. I... I know that I have salt in my coffee. No, you to, don't. I was just... But was, let me... You know what? It, it just strikes me. <clears throat> we are all looking to be courageous. No one wants to be cowardly. No one. The, the human, the general human sentiment is we all want to demonstrate courage and want to live with conviction. But when something like an inch of snow keeps us from church, we are missing an opportunity to live courageously. So there is a disconnect. Many, many suburban worshipers want to live courageous. They're looking for opportunities to literally walk on water. Those opportunities don't come until we do the most basic elements of faith. Get up and get to church. All right, I'll be done now. <laughs> yeah. I don't think you have to say suburban in front of that. I think you just say the American church. Well, I am most <laughs> familiar. I, I mean, well, I don't know. Like, I, I lived I am, in the city for 10 years, same thing. Okay. Weather conditions, low church I'm just, I am most familiar with the suburban church, yeah. and I don't know how weather affects the rural American church and, and attendance. Or urban. Or urban, yeah. I'm, I'm familiar with urban as well. So. <laughs> 
All right, I'm done. <laughs> I just want to say I'm so glad I came to church yesterday. Aren't you? <laughs> Is that out? Of, I mean, what are we listening no. to the podcast for? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, my guess is if you're listening to this right now, you probably were at church. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. And I, I mean, of course, there, there's a little side of me that wants to be like, and it's okay if you didn't come. <laughs> like, you know, there's, there's freedom in that. But I know. I don't know if I agree. Do not forsake the gathering of ourselves together. Yeah. I just, what, when is it okay not to come to church? Let's well, have that if discussion. You, if you have like a sick kid or if you yourself are sick. Okay. Right? Yeah. I, I, and I was talking about the weather. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's an important discussion to have. We you should get, have this. When, when's it okay not to come to church? I 100% agree with you. Do you need, we need to be a little careful with the do not forsake the gathering together, because that was a directive for the leaders of the church not to abandon the, the gathering together. Now, for sure, we should not give ourselves excuses to, to not come to church. We should come to church. For sure. I'm, I'm, I don't think not coming, though, is like a slippery slope to we are forsaking gathering together Listen, as a body. I hope the listeners don't hear me as angry. <laughs> I hope they hear me as passionate. Yes, and I, I, and I, I would assume we'd all want our, our pastors as passionate mm-hmm. about church like, attendance. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. I think it might help, too, to, to shift your paradigm into what am I getting by coming uh, to what am I giving by by coming to church, mm-hmm. yeah, like, we miss you and the and the contribution like, you bring. Yeah. When God you're is here. going to uh, minister to you and also through you to other people. When you're not here, you remove that element. Yeah, for like sure. It's, there's all kinds of ways that you participate. So and you do receive something. It's not like you don't. Mm-hmm. You know, there's also a lot of blessing in being disciplined. And For sure. there's something you're saying is saying, you know, even when it's hard, even when there's snow and you have to fight through that temptation to stay home where it's more comfortable. Well, there's blessing <clears throat> and being disciplined. If you want to be an, if you want to be uncommon as a follower of Christ, come to church three times a month or more. We have a problem. If that's what marks you as uncommon, as a Christ follower in suburbia? All right. <laughs> we should move on. <laughs> okay. All right. First question. Here we go. Uh, seems like the writer of Hebrews kind of vomits at the end of the book, giving lots of random directions. How else might we understand the chapter? Yeah, the last chapter, I I actually uh, had 12 points of application up at Poplar Creek, and frankly, it wasn't a great sermon. Uh, Some sermons are better than others. Preachers need to be honest with themselves. It, it It wasn't strong in content or delivery. The best part... The and best. he's yelling at people to come to church. <laughs> yes, because the best part of being there is that the Word of God was read publicly. In right. fact, uh, we had the Poplar Creek congregation stand for the entirety of the reading of chapter mm-hmm. 13, which, you know, we don't do every week, but it was, we did do this week. But So 12 points of application, um, lots of behavioral objectives uh, or directives. Uh, But we must realize that, you know, the first 12 chapters are about the supremacy of Christ and don't give up on following Jesus. Don't backslide. Don't go back. Um, So it's a relatively 
you know, squeezing it all in at the end there is, um, is somewhat understandable. He's got to wrap up the letter or the author has to wrap up the letter at some point. So they're going to squeeze in some stuff. I don't know if it's been a long time since I've written longhand letter, but at some point you just kind of have to wrap it up. And I got the sense that that's what some of what was going on. Well, he says as much. Yeah. He says, bear with my exhortation. He which, says it was brief. Yeah. He's, I was very brief with you, which I took, and maybe I could be wrong in the interpretation, to be I'm in this last section of the letter, like this chapter 13, which I know he's not writing a chapter break, but yeah. hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a bunch of stuff at you here. I just, I took the tack of, it's, it's designed to do uh, to two things. It's in if you were here at Hillside, you are, you've heard this, but it was designed to be actually encouragement and not a checklist. It was to encourage them that there, hey, there is, there are things that you can do as a body of believers and individually in the midst of so much change and persecution that you're going through. Let me encourage you at the end of this letter to, to live this way because it will give you meaning and purpose and hope. And then the second, so encourage and humble. And it was to, to humble us because he goes immediately then to the, to the verse 20 and 21 where he, he says, Jesus Christ will equip you to do this. I love that. Yeah. And so it was, I just stuck on, on that. You know, it feels like a vomit at the end of the book. We may interpret it as a checklist because of our mindset and our bent towards legalism. Mm -hmm. But let's look at it as encouragement that, hey, we can be a people and we can, there's direction for our lives. Like, isn't that good and beautiful? And then let it also humble us, which hum, the humbling is to bring us to Christ. He's the one that equips us to do his will, which was just outlaid in the, in the previous, you know, 20 verses. So, I kind of camped on the specific directives yeah. and put it up on the screen. Love one another. Show hospitality to strangers. Remember those in prison. Honor marriage. Keep the marriage bed pure. Be content. Free from the love of money. And just on and on and on. So um, yeah. I would say, you know, the, the list for me highlights the fact that there are ethical implications to the supremacy of Christ. Because of who he is, um, he calls us to be like him. Mm -hmm. and, and there are moral, ethical, behavioral implications. I love the fact that and I actually, late in the sermon, I said to those listening, I said, I hope you feel overwhelmed. Mm. Because if, if you're feeling overwhelmed, you're in a good spot. Here's the good news. He equips us. We don't equip ourselves. Mm -hmm. So if you've been brought to the end of yourself by this long list, that's a great place to be. Um, now let's depend and rely upon who Christ is. Mm -hmm. Yep. All right. Uh, next one. If you were to preach through Hebrews again, would you do it differently? Gosh, I hope so. In other words, I hope that we're always learning as preachers. I would go more slowly. So I think it'd be fun to, to do 26 weeks, um, which would be twice the length we had. Um, talk more about the Old Testament implications or the foundational understanding of the Old Testament. How about you guys? That's probably the answer for every book with that this is asked like yeah. <laughs> the answer is probably i'd probably want to go slower mm -hmm. <laughs> take more time just a little peek behind the the curtain uh, generally speaking i think i find in myself um 
I go faster when I'm less confident. Um, I think preachers tend to bite off more when they lack confidence in their ability to present well a passage. But so you f- you're saying you didn't feel as confident with Hebrews as you would have liked? Right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was my first time to preach through the entirety of the book and um, just, um, yeah, selecting passages and giving emphasis to certain things. It just, um, there's a work to it and your confidence as a preacher can wax and wane over time. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was 13 weeks is a long, it's a long, for the American church, it's a long run. Should, I think we could, we could, we, we could. It shouldn't be. I mean, we did Luke for, Two years. years. 946. <laughs> I think it was 83 Sundays. I think, I think I would have, so I would have gone slower, but I think there was a strategy that maybe we, we missed in that we could have divided up some of the, the emphasis and the, the chunks. So like if, if you would have taken like one through mm-hmm. four, because there's these really specific yeah. distinctives in there, and then, like that, would have allowed you to like go deeper right. into those. This and, is a thematic. Yeah, it's like take, look. but but still go exegete, still go chapter verse. Right. But yes. but like Kelly, you are going to take four weeks. You're going to do or whatever eight weeks or whatever it is. Yeah. And we might go more thematic th- through it as we still went through chapter. Because there are certainly themes, and you could you could pick out these themes like. Uh, you know, endurance is a theme. Right. And you could do two or three weeks yeah. on that and right. pick out. Because I think I was in like three and then I think I did five weeks or eight weeks. I can't remember, but it was like, I was like three, seven, yeah. 11, mm-hmm. 13. And they're just so, they're connected under the same preacher author, mm-hmm. co- you know, concept of the new covenant and Christ is better and greater yeah. than and all that. But it would have been interesting to like, Okay, somebody take the the theme of high priest. It's present, mm-hmm. and just just drill that thing Atonement. down. Yeah, and just that's kind of why I did holiness when I preached on holiness a few weeks it ago. It was just sermon. like, man, I just want to talk about holiness. Yeah. It's all over the place. Yep. And I found myself wanting to talk about verses that were coming. Yes. Mm-hmm. But I was like, okay, I don't want to step on anyone's toes. But right. yeah, right, like, right, that's right. perfect for this. Right. That's a great question. Somebody's thinking through that. Yeah. Kelly, do you go through the whole book? Before you propose going, you know, taking yeah, the church so through it, I, I'll typically put it on the headphones and I will listen to it ad nausea, mm-hmm. right? Just over and over and over and try to get a feel for the overarching themes and uh, passion points. And mm-hmm. yeah, all right, let's um, let's go to the next one. Can you explain more about how verse twenty-one actually works? <laughs> Let's read, uh, how about, I'll read it. Yeah. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you, this is where 21 starts, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I I don't know what you did. I didn't get a chance to listen to your sermon yesterday. But it was weak. <laughs> clearly, you've shared that, which means I got I to go. I got to go listen. How bad was this train wreck? <laughs> um, 
I spent a decent amount of time with the equip thing. I don't know if it was helpful to anybody or interesting or not, mm-hmm. but I just I found the the idea of our translation of the word equip from catartizo is really interesting that it's I get it equip matches it, but it's really something's broken and needs to be mended. Something mm-hmm. is not complete and needs to be made whole. Something is in a state of disrepair and needs re- restoration. Mm-hmm. And that Christ actually comes in um, working in us, which is fascinating to think about. May he work in us what is pleasing to him. Mm-hmm. So it's like we are not able to do his will on our own. We're broken and incomplete without him. He then makes us complete and gives us the, the power, the strength, the ability to actually then do what pleases him, <laughs> which is just a fascinating, I, I get the question, you know, how does that, how does that actually work? The indwelling of Christ, his spirit in us to give us the ability to do his will, which then pleases, ultimately pleases him, which is in our best interest as well. Mm-hmm. Whatever brings him glory is right. for our good. Right. Yeah. So just at a really practical level, I wrote in my notes here, he changes our appetites. He changes our interests. That's how the equipping happens. And so he draws us to himself. Then he gives us a distaste for sin and an appetite for godliness. And as our appetite for godliness increases, we'll say no to our fleshly desires. We'll discipline ourselves. We'll get to church. And I don't mean to heart, but that's one example. We'll have, we won't want to miss church. Yeah. He'll, he draws us. He gives us an appetite for uh, congregational singing. We want to add our voices to the choir. We want to cheer other people on. We want to be cheered on by, as we hear other people singing. This increasingly, and he says it, it's pleasing to God. Mm -hmm. And so this change of appetite. I just have a a quick story of that. Because this is one of the things I I just love the most about having faith, is is having an appetite change. So I have a family member who, lifelong smoker, like lifelong smoker, turned into cancer. Just recently, within the last uh, few months, he had to have... uh, his bladder removed mm. and they gave him a, a procedure. It's called a neo bladder where they take something of you and turn it into a bladder. So it's not a bladder, wow. but it functions as a bladder. So when I say it's not a bladder, that means you, you don't know when it's full. You just have to kind of figure it out. Right. So anyway, um, we, uh, the family is all praying like, I hope he's done smoking now. <laughs> right. And a few weeks pass after surgery, and he lights one up. And it tasted disgusting to him. Interesting. And I heard that story and was just like, man, that's what it's like. Hmm. That's what it's like when when God moves and you finally, you know, you move past your sin and you you have this thing that you're doing or that you're or whatever, and it's not good for you, and you keep going back to it. But then, you know, over a season, over a time, you just you put it to death. It gets mm-hmm. put to death. Mm-hmm. And then when you think about doing it again or whatever, you're just like, oh, that's, that's repulsive. Mm-hmm. It's disgusting. I would never do that. Mm-hmm. I can't believe I ever did do that. You know, mm-hmm. and it's just such a, such a beautiful move of God when he does that and he removes those things and helps you conquer 
enables you to conquer those sins and put them to death. Like, but that, that story was like a very tangible mm-hmm. <laughs> example of, of, um, of what that's like when, when you have this taste for something and it actually is bringing death into your life mm-hmm. and it's causing you physical uh, issues to the point of surgery. And then, yeah, because some people don't, right? Some people, they, that happens and then they just continue doing it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good, um, I, I think of, um, to the, what does it look like or what is it? Can you explain more? I think sometimes we see it or experience it when we interact. Trying to think of a interact with those maybe outside the the church, the unchurched, um, and they're like, "Why would you do this? Why are you living so strange?" I think of people that you might interact with, Simone, that are like, Mm -hmm. "You could do so many other things. Like, why are you?" spending your time like so much effort to help these people and or like you know especially those who may maybe societally we look at it as those are like well they got themselves into that like why would you go sit with that homeless person and care for them and pray with them and encourage them why would you give them a lunch you know they did that to themselves or whatever and you're like if, if you knew what a train wreck I am without Christ, I'm doing this because he first loved me. This is all about Christ. I, I don't do this on my own. I don't have the desire. I don't have the, the skill. I don't have the courage. I don't have the wisdom. It's nothing of me, and it's, it's all of him because I'm broken and I needed mending. He mended me, and now he's working in me and through me. Um, to do his work. And I I have no, I mean, I I think all of us that have, you know, tried to to serve God and whatever he's called us to and whatever, even if it's temporary right in front of us or whatever, we we have a feeling of, I can't not do it. I have to actually do this Mm -hmm. because I'm so called to it and compelled to it because Christ has indwelled me to do this work. It has to happen. We're in the process of interviewing, and John and I have, you know, interviewed lots of people over the last decade. Um, one of the things we drill down on is calling, mm-hmm. and need to want to hear from applicants a deep sense of calling. Because uh, if you don't have a sense of calling for vocational ministry, it's it's easy to get discouraged and question why am I doing this? And um, yeah, calling's a vital importance mm-hmm. uh, for those going into vocational, vocational ministry, but certainly those, anybody following Christ, you have to have a sense of, no, he's, mm-hmm. he's brought me to him. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd add to that too, finding your purpose. Yeah. And it's similar to a calling, mm-hmm. I think, but I like, I, I'm thinking about how, when I was in college, the question always was, how do you find God's will for your life? Like yeah, it was right. a mystery. Right. And, like it's out there and you just got to. Right. And yeah. it was up to us to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And I'm so thankful over the years and sanct- being sanctified and mm-hmm. just growing deeper in my knowledge and faith that I can read this verse and think to equip you with everything good for doing his will. And I don't have the will part doesn't jump out to me anymore as like a mystery. Like I have to go figure that out, but being equipped to do things that, you know, equip you with everything good for doing his will to me is synonymous with walking 
in a life that's full of peace and abundance and abundance of him and abundance of his spirit and abundance of, um, the purpose and fulfillment you have when you are walking in his will. And it looks, it's right in front of you. It's not a mystery you have to go figure yep. out or, um, a test you have to take to see. I mean, right. literally I would try, I would try everything. I really wanted to know God's will for my life. Right. And, um, there's, there's a lot more, um, it's, it's not quite as black and white maybe as we think it is, but there is, um, there is something about that, the calling and the purpose that you feel and that the fulfillment and the peace that it brings you when you're walking that out. And I think that's what I read when I see this, this verse is, mm-hmm. it's just right in front of us. Mm-hmm. All right, let's, uh, let's go to the last one. I am prone to teaching my kids that following Jesus means behaving. How can I not make following Jesus just a list of good behaviors we are supposed to do? This is such a real question. The bent towards legalism, you know. Well, when we get 12 directives in one chapter. Yeah. Jesus wants you to do this, 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 and you'll be a Christian. So we just need to monitor (laughs) our motivation. Why are we doing these things? If it's for joy and the joy set before us, um, then then it's it's good. If it's about relationship and honoring our Father and and walking and suffering with Christ, um, then it's it's all good. If it's about meriting favor, demonstrating your value, um, then you're you're in peril. That's legalism. Mm-hmm. You're trying to earn something. Mm-hmm. And when we're raising kids, it's easy. We have to give them directives, mm-hmm. but it's, if we're not careful, we imply or express even worse, express that they need to do this or else they'll not be accepted, loved by God, cared for. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a fine line. We need to talk about motivation, what motivates us in relationship. Uh, hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we can. I, I was thinking of this in terms of um, the Christmas season. How many times we make God out to our kids to be like Santa? I mean, it's a real like. <laughs> you really boil it down. You think about it. You know, do good. That's what makes Jesus happy. You don't want to make Jesus sad and unhappy, and you know, you're not going. Oh, please don't ever say that. I'm to just a child. Well, oh, it's. What that's, do you think shame on a shelf is all about? Yeah, it's right, pretty... Which is why I'm just saying, please don't do that. It's, right. it's ineffective. No, you're 100% right. Mm-hmm. It's ineffective. It's bad theology. It's bad, you know. So um, even when they do things wrong and you mm-hmm. say, or, you know, I bet you God is really unhappy right now. You know, things like that. And a lot, you know, it's... It's so tricky because you don't want to set mm-hmm. Jesus up as the cosmic Santa. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet you want to teach good moral mm-hmm. living that Christ wants for us because it's for our good. So, I mean, tricky. first of all, I get it. I get this question, oh, right? A hundred percent. And the, you, you do want your kids. I don't... Maybe I'm stuck on the word behave. It's more like um, you want your kids to obey, and a good parent is teaching your kids to obey mainly 
for their own good, right? Like don't run out in front of a car. Don't touch a hot stove. Like those are the types of things, like I'm telling you not to do this because you'll get injured or you'll get hurt. And then that, as they grow, those start to turn, you know, have a different bend toward like moral implications and things like that. So first, I don't know, I would let go of the word behave Mm. for this person. I think you'll find a lot of freedom in realizing that you would do, you have very little control over the choices your children make the older and older they get. So maybe (laughs) just let go of this. You're not trying to raise that denotes control. Right. And you're not trying to raise a robot. Much better. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like just does exactly what you say. I mean, that's, that's, that's maybe not the goal is to get little robots to do exactly. I mean, sometimes it'd be, it'd be nice. Let's just be honest, but that's not the goal. Um, so you want them to obey. There's a lot of value in obeying authority. I mean, that just never goes away. So teaching your kids a healthy obedience to authority is, is a good life lesson. And it's also biblical, but, um, that's, that's far from the Jesus I know who is looking for my behavior modification. We, you've already said this, but Jesus cares about our heart. He cares about what motivates us, all the things you've already said. He cares about a relationship with us. And um, we, that's what you need to teach your kids. I mean, listen, I am t- talking to myself right now as much as I am to anybody else. But um, I just, there's just a lot of freedom in looking at raising kids to know and love Jesus and in, in the relationship he desires to have with your kids. That's focus on teaching them that as well as a healthy obedience. But I'd, I'd maybe try to let go of the word behave. I don't know what that means. I mean, you can't, it's hard to define because one person will define behaving one way and somebody else another way. So it's not even, I don't find that very helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, I think it's going to, it's going to start, you can start teaching them, um, you know, the best relationship with, with Jesus, with God, by how you, like what we're talking about with how you parent your kids. And if you, you know, you don't, you want them to choose the right thing because they love choosing mm-hmm. the right thing. That's, that's the win for, for me, for us, that's the win when they're older, when they leave the house, we hope that they choose the, there's always going to be a right and a wrong thing to do pretty much. Um, maybe some, some gray areas in between, but we want them to choose the right thing to do, no matter how hard it is, because they enjoy and love doing the right thing. Not to, not so that, not to make us proud, you know, like we're, we're careful even about how we use the word. I'm proud of you. And in which situations we use that. Um, but, but that, because they love doing it. And if we can model that relationship, that's a glimpse of, of modeling the relationship with, with them and, and with God, like. And he already loves you. He already has just an endless amount of love for you. And you can't add to it. And, um, man, it's not only is it best for you to do the right thing and to, you know, um, but, but it's going to bring you joy. Mm-hmm. We want you to enjoy it. And so mm-hmm. we try to model that as parents in our house. I think it's important, too, to we, – we didn't do this great, but we tried. <laughs> Right. I mean, right. <laughs> yeah, that I could have ended my well, what I just said with that We tried as best we could at times to differentiate what we thought was good for them and our home and how we are kind of rules and restrictions or whatever. And ultimately what, you know, God is calling, calling us to. So, um, I don't know if that, 
especially as they got into the, well, why can't we do this kind of era, right? It wasn't like, well, it's not because, you know, you're sinning against the Lord. It's just what mom and I have decided is what makes the most sense for you or for our family. For So, because what we can do is we can begin to create a certain environment for behavior modification that then children can transpose to say, well, that's the, that's the only way. And that, that's how we please God. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, that's how you please me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. mm-hmm. yeah. And you're going to need to, it, it comes down to then when they get older, just making wise choices. Right. So I think of, you know, super restrictive things that we may place on kids. And, you know, it's just like, that's just us. That's not, you know, the yeah. word of the I'll give Lord. you an example. Uh, uh, politeness? I, I have some examples. But oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, go, I wasn't going to bring them up. Oh, so well, it's better if you do. I'll give one. Um, in our culture, we highly value that our kids would be polite. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would agree it's better to be polite than impolite. But there's a lot of variation about in every situation, what is a polite response and what's an impolite response? There's a, a lot of it. But if we're not careful, we can, we can act as if um, in some situations being impolite is sinful. In other words, I, what I'm trying to say is Christ didn't shed his blood for, for impoliteness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we need to be really, I, I hear you saying, John, that we need to be very careful on what is a family directive yeah. And what is a sin issue? Right. That's the best way. You're saying it correctly. And our, our home functions under, under this rubric, some of which is just a preference Sherry and I have for how our home should function. Mm-hmm. And then other things are, are clearly sin yeah. issues. Right. Uh, and your preferences most likely are based off of biblical values. I mean, you're not just arbitrary picking things that you... I hope. Right. And, right. and I think that's probably the um, filter we need to kind of decide, yeah. you know, we're taking, so, I mean, listen, I have a long list of things that were instilled in me that I thought were biblical and only because the way my parents presented them, not because they said they were biblical, because I just thought, well, they were real strict about a couple of things. Right. And I remember the freedom I found as an adult realizing that I can actually do things differently and it's not, it's, you know, it it wasn't based on anything of moral value. It was just their preference, but it was from generations right. of brokenness. Yeah. It wasn't what I learned. What I learned growing up was because I said, yeah, that's, that's it's what funny. I took. That still comes out of my It mind. is hard, but that's not, it's not helpful to kids. It's not, it's not helpful to kids. Yeah. It's not a good way to parent. It's not a good model to set it's up hard. for a relationship between your, your kids and God. But like, that's mm-hmm. what I knew. That's that's how it was presented to me because I said, and that's a, and the, with a period at the right. end of the sentence, mm-hmm. and, it, and that was it. At some, yeah, I agree. I agree with you. And yet, at some level, I would rather have a parent, or I would rather say because I said so, not because well, God said so. Oh gosh, mm-hmm. yes, totally. Because there are right. that's the other right. the and other the other ditch. Now let me clarify. In my background, <laughs> there was no God in the picture, right. so right. it was it was definitely right. a and when because we I say. Because God said so. It needs to be an issue of real well, sin and consequence. And we need to, we need to go the, the distance to explain the wisdom of it, yeah. the value of it. Because there's always wisdom and value Take, in it. I worked always. with my kids on truth-telling. Mm-hmm. I said, hey, w- 
truth-telling is valuable. Uh, we shouldn't be liars. God says so. Right. And the reason he says so is that when we lie, we sacrifice intimacy. Mm-hmm. When you tell an untruth, you separate yourself from me. I actually don't know who you are. I lose a piece of you. Mm-hmm. It comes between us. Mm-hmm. So truth-telling is valuable because then we know each other. It cultivates intimacy. So, And I know that takes a lot of work, but that work's worth doing on any number of issues uh, when we're coaching our kids on godliness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the other thing the, in this question where they say, um, how can I not make following Jesus a long list of good behaviors? Okay, there's two things I want to say. One of them <laughs> is there are some, back to going to church, there are some disciplines in our lives that we do anyway, because the word of God says to do them. Praying, for example, reading your Bible, going to church. I mean, we know, we, we know the top five, um, giving, serving. So all of those things are disciplines that you first model as parents, right? But then you also talk to your kids about why they're important. Like they, this will bear fruit in your life. There is good that will come to this that will be good for you. And it honors God and, you know, there's, there's, the list is not bad in and of itself, right? We know that there's a good, there's a lot of good things. The other thing that I, I want to tell this person, what the question go? I moved it somehow. Um, is that, um, the ultimate goal of parenting, which they probably know this, and I am, I have not done this yet. So this is just me projecting what we're trying to do as parents is launching your kids to be independent adults who you pray have a relationship with Jesus. And beyond that, I mean, it's fair game. It truly is. Like <laughs> I'm, we're, our first, our oldest is looking at colleges and literally she's, she's, I mean, like she has, we have very little influence over where she's going to go. And that's probably different per kid. I have, I think my second kid's going to have a lot more, he'll be a lot more open to what we would recommend. Um, and that's just difference in my kids. But my point is that there are important things that you teach your kids, the basics of what it means to, to have discipline in your life and follow Jesus. But at the end of the day, you will have very little control over your kids, how they behave, the, decision, the decisions they make, um, the choices they, they, they make. And their goal is just to launch launch so that they land on their two, their own two feet and they come back to you mm. when they stumble and fall. And if you mm. are so strict on some of these behaviors, there's a, the fear is that they won't come back to you because mm-hmm. they are going to stumble and fall. What name an adult who doesn't. And so you want that relationship to always be so strong and healthy and full of love and grace that they'd come back to you and mm-hmm. look to you for advice or help or whatever it is. Yeah. And I think the key, I mean, kind of bringing it all back to the beginning which is super helpful, Simone, is I think the best way or, yeah, the best way for students or for kids to to live that way is not with a image of Jesus as this cosmic Santa that if they do the right thing, then they get the present. If they do the wrong thing, he's going to give them a lump of coal, right? Mm-hmm. It's just waiting to either punish harshly or bless, you know, based on a some kind of behavioral... Um, behavioral mm-hmm. standards. Good words. All right. Well, that's all the questions we have for you today. If you have any further questions, comments, or concerns, don't hesitate. Text Next Level Podcast 630-474-6164. Our podcast is dedicated to answering listener questions on two levels, answering specific questions about last Sunday's sermon, and also general questions regarding broader topics within the Christian faith. 
We love God and believe that scripture is a primary means for our getting to know him. And our hope is that this podcast extends the learning opportunity for all who want to know God better, strengthening not only your faith, but my faith and our faith together. Thank you for joining us. Thank you listeners for tuning into the next level. prophecy.